Thanks for tuning in to the Athletic Scholarship Corporation Radio Network. Heard worldwide on www.athleticscholarshipcorp.com. Your source for college recruiting help, training advice, motivation, and more from pro athletes, coaches, celebrities, and entrepreneurs worldwide. of the Athletic Scholarship Corporation found on the web at www.athleticscholarshipcorp.com and also the ASC Sports Radio Network. Uh, legal compliance out of the way first. I always do this. Everybody that listens to the show knows. Uh, today's coach, Sherman Reed, uh, Division I baseball coach, is on the show for educational format and content purposes only. He does not endorse any products or services. So, Coach, now that we got the NCAA stuff out of the way, which we're going to talk about in a minute because you were very involved in the NCAA, uh, welcome to the show. Appreciate your time. Sure. Thank you, AJ. Happy to be here. Now, could you give a little background about yourself personally, aside from what's on the athletic page? And I know you've got a very robust background in, in coaching and playing. And one of the things that stuck out for me is is you stayed home and you're there in that Baltimore region. And can you can you give a little background on yourself to the listeners? Sure. Uh, and, and, and that was a bonus you, you just mentioned. Uh, born and raised here in uh, Baltimore, had the uh, privilege to not only be born and play here both on the amateur, high school, and collegiately playing at, uh, at Towson State University back back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, is now known as Towson University. And uh, having the opportunity to um, learn a lot from the legendary uh, uh, coach, uh, Billy Hunter, who was the Texas Rangers coach um, for, for a couple years back there late in the 70s, and a Hall of Fame Oriole uh, third base coach, um, and then to branch out and play in the what was back then the old Central Atlantic League um, uh, after uh, college for about 10 years, and then going on to coach at various levels, all local here, you know, whether it's uh, high school, the amateur summer league, uh, collegiate baseball. I was privileged to be uh, a coach for the uh, College Park Bombers in the uh, second season of the inaugural season of the Cal Ripken Collegiate League that's now taken off uh, here in the area, and then having the opportunity to coach some of the, the state teams uh, for the Cobb World Series uh, and, and some of the international uh, play that uh, the youngsters had the opportunity uh, uh, to be involved in, and then being called by Terry Shadler, the, uh, back then the East Coast Tournament Baseball Program. Uh, they hired me to uh, represent the East Coast uh, uh, 15U team uh, and taking them on some international trips. And then having the, the, the privilege to come on local uh, here at Coppin State back in 2007 under, 2008 actually, under Harvey Lee, who was a, a, a talent in the uh, New York Yankees farm system. Uh, came on board to assist him here at Coppin State uh, uh, for a short stint. Uh, also had a stint as an assistant uh, coach under uh, under Mike Scalinas, who came in from the West Coast to bring some some really good ideas and and, and to help start uh, uh, getting Coppin State uh, on the road to success. 
and then having the opportunity to be pegged as a head coach um, uh, six years ago now here in my hometown of West Baltimore. So it's it's been a real good ride for me, and I haven't had to go far to continue to pursue my dreams of being uh, involved with youth and baseball. Another side of my background is, is corporate uh, marketing and sales. I've had the opportunity to um, uh, to manage uh, large regions for, for large manufacturing uh, companies. I did that for probably 18 years. And after the corporate world, being able to settle in for 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 what what my passion really lies, and that is in, in baseball, youth baseball, teaching, instructing, and, and assisting, um, trying to, to, to get the Coppin State University program on the, on the right track towards success. Who was a, a major influencer in your persona, you know, who you are? And we're not talking about baseball. We'll talk about baseball in a minute. But who's, who's just someone that really sticks out as the person that instilled your core values? Yeah, I, I, I think my mom was – my dad wasn't home often because he, um, he uh, rode a truck and tractor, and he was going sometimes three, four times uh, uh, out of the week. Uh, but my mom was one that embedded in us that uh, we could be all all we put out to be. So just the discipline and keeping us on track, you know, it's just tough being raised in, in, in urban America these days, but keeping us on track and teaching us the values so that when we were out there on our own, we would uh, tend to make the right decisions, decisions that would uh, put us in position to be very successful. Now, on the, the baseball development and coaching side, um, you've got a pretty good background of some high-level people who really, not to discount the other guys, but who really sticks out? Yeah, believe, believe it or not, um, you know, there's a guy by the name of Robert Plummer. Robert Plummer is probably foremost one of the great teachers of baseball in the uh, Baltimore. He's a legend in the Baltimore area, and I would embarrass him if he heard me say this, but Rob Plummer, uh, he's currently coaching at uh, Woodlawn High School, uh, but uh, Rob Plummer, with his teachings, um, you know, was, was very uh, insightful. He was the guy that kind of pulled me into coaching a long time ago, Um and then just being a fan of, of the game of baseball. I mean, as a young kid working at the old Baltimore Memorial Stadium, you know, as a kid working as a vendor and getting a chance back then to, to touch and talk to major league players like Brooks Robinson, Belange, having those guys come in the pass gate where the vendors stand, staged before they go out to sell and getting to know those guys one-on-one and, and and getting really good information. They they talk to you like you were, you know, a player on a team back then. I mean, you could you could see them getting off the bus, walking towards the stadium. They stop and they talk to you. But I'm um, being a fan of the game and growing up, you know, a big Baltimore Orioles fan and and watching closely every baseball game, uh, both uh, in person and on TV. Now I know you, you know really embrace being a D1 coach and your commentary about, you know, being 300 plus opportunities out there and you being selected is, is an honor. And let's talk about being humble and, and, and humility. Do you see a difference 
in the recruits and prospects, you know, obviously you've got a career that spans several years. Do you see a difference in, in demeanor and work ethic? Uh, with, with, with today's athlete, I think, um, I think today's athlete, I, I guess I'll put it this way. It's a shock effect when they, when they get to the division one level, because uh, there's so much in the way of training that separates the average division one player from the elite. And where you, you'd get a young guy that come in and maybe they tore it up in high school and he really didn't have to work as hard to be successful. We call it the men among the, amongst the boys out there where you know, they were big, strong, maybe they matured from a physical standpoint uh, earlier than some of their counterparts. But when they get to the Division One level, uh, they come to realize fast that it's just not about hitting a baseball, throwing a baseball, feeling a baseball, but it's all of the training, the hard strength, conditioning, running program. Uh, and I think that that was probably a surprise to me coming into on the Division One level that there were so many talented kids coming in with huge resumes. I mean, they've done some great things at the high school level. But when they get to the Division One level, they're not quite prepared from a physical training standpoint. And I think that's the biggest difference between, um, you know, the high school, high-level amateur, and then Division One baseball. Yeah, and I think the talent level in, in all sports, and, you know, going to our 13th year, and, and obviously I played at every level in football, you see the core and raw talent is every year getting better and better, but the heart, it, it, and that's probably a dynamic that you can elaborate on in recruiting is I, I would think you would agree the hardest thing to measure is, is the heart and motivation of an athlete. Yeah. Yeah. Because the baseball more so than most sports is so mentally tough because, you know, being successful in baseball, means you're failing sometimes two out of three times, but yet you're deemed as, as, a, as a very successful player. And guys coming in has had, have had so much success at the high school level. When they come, come at the, uh, the Division One level, they're sometimes not as prepared for the mental stress of the game. And you're right, when we're out there recruiting um, – Sometimes you, you look at the intangibles that may not be the guy that can, can run the fastest or can hit the ball the farthest. Well, as you talk to some of the high school coaches and you keep hearing a pattern of a big, hard work ethic, you know, will run through a wall for you. Those are the things that, that, that stands out that's as important when we're recruiting as the kid that can do the things from a physical standpoint on the field, because we know coming here at this level, there's going to be a lot of adversity because the guys are all talented. And what separates those guys again is the training and, and doing those things where uh, no one's around and we're restricted in the number of hours we can have our hands on a, on a kid in terms of training. Um, so the, the mental toughness is what it really comes down to. Uh, and we'll, we'll at some point talk a little bit about what we did at Coppin from the mental toughness standpoint because, you know, we brought in 17 freshmen off of a, a real down uh, uh, 2000, 
and 14, 15 season, we weren't real young. And we knew going in that the kind of kids we had to bring in and recruit had to be those kids that were really tough from a mental standpoint. And that, that probably attributes to your uh, nation's highest win turnaround percentage, that, that philosophy change, right? Yeah, because we, we, no one gave us a chance when we, when we recruited an entire uh, freshman class uh, in 2012 and going into the 2013 season, the NCAA never had a team on the field that uh, at the Division One level where there was seven guaranteed freshmen of the nine on the field, and often the last out of the game, we'd have nine, nine freshmen on the field. But we went that way because we wanted to – first, we thought we did a real good job at, um, at, at recruiting and checking references and learning all there is about the youngster that they could first endure – as freshmen, a lot of losses because you're not going to win many games being a freshman going up against, you know, upperclassmen, juniors, and seniors at this level. But we got the kids some of that, what I call real-time reps. And once they got those real-time reps, when we got to the 2013 season and we were on national TV against the defending national champs at that time, uh, the Arizona Wildcats, uh, those kids – the, the invaluable experience that they learned from, from that series set them up to when it was all said and done as sophomores their second year, it was the biggest turnaround in NCAA Division I uh, uh, history from one year to the next when we won 18 games and went to the semifinals of our conference championships with basically a team full of sophomores. I would think most coaches, and maybe if I was in your position taking over a program that you know, maybe there were some struggles. I think the immediate, most coaches would say, let's go JUCO and, and bring in some guys that are, quote, you know, the philosophy ready to play college ball. And here you go kind of out of the box and bring in, you know, true freshmen. What, how much work was that? I know you tirelessly recruit. That's kind of what you're coined as, and, and you can elaborate on that in a minute. But what was the most important thing when you brought these guys in that, that you think you had to fix? I, it, it's it's funny because, first of all, we get a lot of support here administratively here at Coppin for baseball. And the the athletic director then was uh, Derek Ramsey, who had a stellar uh, NFL career, two Super Bowls uh, uh, with the Oakland Raiders and, and New England uh, Patriots. When I was expressing to him my wish for how I wanted to build a program here at Coppin, and the more I explained it to him, he brought in that if I can bring in young kids and mold them in the fashion we feel we have to mold these kids to, to get them to be our guys, so to speak. And that is, you know, we have a, a specific philosophy in, in what we teach here at Coppin in baseball. And when you bring the guys in here, the young guys, in, they tend to be sponges. They want to. They want to learn. Uh, they look up to the coaching staff in a very respectful way because they're trying to make their mark. So we thought if we stayed young, by the time we got to year two and three, we'd have something. Whereas on the JUCO side of things, the guys come in. First of all, their collegiate year uh, career is half over, 
and you tend to what you see is what you're going to get at that point. There's not going to be a lot of remolding that you can do uh, or transform a kid uh, uh, from a junior, you know, versus a kid coming fresh out of high school. So we purposely stayed away from the junior college guys, quite honestly, as we got experience. more importantly, as we got experience, looking for one or two pieces to get us to where we feel we needed to be to, to really compete for a championship. Then we started sprinkling in one or two uh, junior college guys, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it's worked. One of our top players is uh, is a se- is senior George uh, uh, Bobby Dragon, who's a senior. Who fit exactly what we were looking for in terms of leadership and coming in and being that 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 intangible that you get from a guy that's already played two years of collegiate ball that's been through the ups and downs and the rigors of college baseball. Now I know you're um, we interview a lot of coaches over the years and I know you're more embedded than most in the NCAA and I think in today's society, a lot of governing or authoritative bodies, uh, including law enforcement in today's society, get um, you know put under their microscope and questioned more more frequent than we would like to admit. Now, you're involved in the NCAA, which is right now getting a lot of scrutiny, um, and I think a lot of it stems from football, obviously, a big revenue-generating sport, but the NCAA... Uh, let's talk about your involvement there and, and, and the need for the NCAA. Yeah, I, and I think the NCAA and the body, I, I know that sometimes the NCAA takes a lot of heat, but mm-hmm. being more involved from the standpoint of some of the rules, you know, having the privilege to be on on some of the rules committees for uh, for, for the uh, Division One uh, uh, baseball and currently uh, being on the advisory board for the East Coast uh, uh, baseball, for Division One uh, uh, baseball, we tend to see you tend to see a little more than what the outside public uh, sees. And mm-hmm. the the NCA really is in it for the best for the youngster, and and the best being academics must always come first. And a lot of the rules that uh, including the uh, the new 2016 uh, class that's that's the first class that's facing the new eligibility revised eligibility rules mm-hmm. is all intended for the youngsters to as ninth graders recognize through their guidance counselors and their coaches that um, they need to uh, address the academic part of their careers in the same fashion they, they, they sometimes address the uh, the, uh, the sports or the the, uh, the the football the basketball the baseball the hockey and that is that they have to from day one uh, treat the academic uh, piece as important as they, they treat the athletic piece and that goes toward having to you know from a very early uh, stage that being your ninth and tenth grade years take those rigorous core courses that's going to be required of you to even be eligible to play a division one sport. And that is your 16 core courses, not waiting until you're a senior and then finally you're trying to take eight, eight core courses, challenging core courses and not performing as well as you would have if you spaced it over, over the four year period. And that's a, a really strong point because a lot of high school coaches and athletic directors and administrators don't really have their hands around the NCAA or even the NAIA rules. 
and they are set in the best interest of the student athlete because I remember being a recruit back in the 90s, early 90s, the schools made the decision on who could come in, and there was some baseline rules. But I remember um, my senior year just scrambling around and taking every complex course I could and, and mm-hmm. get my GPA up, and you're exhausted. Um, and, and I think this new rule is great in a standpoint that people are prepared and they learn that they have to take this stuff in stages and they can't just wait to the last minute, which is going to be crucial to be successful in college because the demand, you know, you're, ba- you're a D1 baseball coach and, and obviously winning, you, you have to win to keep your job. That's the business side of, of college sure. sports. But you also need to graduate these guys. Your parents don't want to pay for tuition or, you know, not everybody's getting a full ride. Um so with that said, you got to graduate and place these young men in career opportunities. That's the other side of your job. And, and, and that's really important because I know that um, when kids come here at Coppin, one of the things that we're proud of is what we, we try to do is through, we don't, just, we don't just speak, but we walk our talk. The structure study all hours here can uh, per week is probably more than than most most uh, Division One programs in the country, but we can turn a blind eye to the academics, particularly what as important as the APR is, and that APR is the academic mm-hmm. uh, uh, progress rate, because in a sense that's the report card for that particular sport or program and that university. So because that's such an important now piece to parents and and youngsters making the decision on what schools they want to attend, you certainly want to have a, a high APR, which is basically a point system um, that's um, that's evaluating how well you're graduating kids and you're keeping their GPA up and you're retaining them when they come to your program. So it's got to be about academics first. And right now we're, you know, as we speak, we're in finals week and we have to make a decision with a, a regular season non-conference game that we just had last night with uh, uh, Richmond where we had to leave behind eight baseball players because they were they had finals scheduled. And with it being a non-conference game, we certainly weren't going to pull those guys and have those guys readjust their final uh, schedule uh, to play a baseball game where it's, it's non-conference and it's going to now – have a domino effect when the when the guys get back here trying to reschedule a, a, a final exam. So we had to make the decision to leave guys be home be uh, home back at campus, and that had to be a priority for us. And and the, the guys understood. We, I'm sure the parents uh, appreciated that. But those are the kind of tough decisions now Division One programs are, are having to make. Another one is. Uh, there's a two-hour window prior to first pitch. So now we have to make the tough decision. Well, if you want your on-field pregame uh, BP or batting practice, do you pull the kid out of that 1 o'clock class? Or do you forgo half of your on-the-field BP practice by giving up a half hour or, or a good portion of that to keep the youngsters in class? and you show up, and now maybe you only have uh, 90 minutes or, or 60 minutes of prep before the first pitch versus the two hours. Those are the tough decisions we all have to make now. And Yeah, and in, and in some programs, you would see coaches just doing what's right for the for the, for the program. I mean, it is what it is. It's, it's a business, 
and some people treat it just strictly business and don't look at you know the total outcome and they're there to get uh, it's an academic institution now let's talk about um what i call two prongs to the recruiting process you have the evaluation period where you you look at and gather information and intelligence talk to people coaches uh, without the student athlete knowing and then you actively engage and recruit the student athlete when do you start typically being a really tireless recruiter when do you start your evaluation gathering you know what year of the student athlete's career I, I would say late sophomore and that might appear a little late mm-hmm. but our philosophy is that uh, the progression from 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 a skill standpoint from a 13 year old to a 15 16 year old can be substantial mm-hmm. and with the with the rules in place we can't actively recruit a kid and be in contact with a kid until after July 1 of their sophomore year after their sophomore year anyway so we can't we can't other than sending out a questionnaire or maybe sending some general information on the institution out we can't actively really recruit a kid anyway as a sophomore so with that being said we tend to put all our resources into that late sophomore early junior kid because often we'll you know out there uh, hitting hitting the the payment we're going to watch an varsity game you're going to still get a a good view of maybe that talented sophomore that's playing varsity baseball as a sophomore so you'll you'll know who these kids are but you still tend to focus on that junior okay. because they're they're more on the immediate page of, of a kid that you can more actively contact and recruit i'm not our compliance guy i'm the the, the figurehead ceo but if i'm not mistaken <laughs> April 28th was a, a rule change about texting and unlimited communication via text with baseball coaches and prospects. Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah. It, it's all unlimited now. Uh, it, it was, it was a hard thing to manage and mm. have a handle on. Oh yeah. Um, so, so that, that was a bonus for all of us because um, you know, the, the, the new age, the kids are, everything is texting, social media, uh, you can get a kid quicker now texting than calling them on their cell phone. That's crazy. In fact, <laughs> how do you measure? Made. How do you measure the relationship? <laughs> I mean, I personally, and I'm I'm not really old school. I mean, I'm 43, so I'm at that midpoint. But yeah. you don't really know anything about a kid when you're texting him. I want to talk to a kid, and if he can't verbalize, and I coached football at the high school level, that's as high as it went in some arena, but. If even at the high school level, especially my quarterback and maybe your pitcher, you feel the same way. If they can't verbalize and communicate and have an aura, I can't measure that in a text. So I, how in God's name do you recruit a kid through text? And, and, that, and that's tough. In fact, you'll, a kid will get a response from me in all caps, call me. Because we'll go back and forth and you really can't read the intent of a text. Sometimes you can sometimes misread the intent of what the, the, the youngster is saying. So I'll respond back in all caps, call, call me <laughs> because you're, you're right. You really, the, the texts don't, don't really quite do it. In fact, when we extend an offer to a kid and a kid 
declined the offer. Uh, for all the kids listening out there, you, you always want to call a coach. You don't want to send an email. You don't want to send a text. You want to call the guy. You may be accepting the offer. You want to do so as personable as you can, and, and that may be picking up the phone and contacting the, contacting the coach. Uh, and we kind of get – I know I get turned off when we're actively recruiting a kid and we can't get that kid on the phone. And but we will get a, a text and we will get an email. So again, I replied back in all caps. Call me. I want to really talk to the kid. You know, probe. You know, throw some probing questions out there. But it's been tough because the kids want a text. They really do want a text, uh, and they multitask. Uh, 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 texting is an easy thing to do no. uh, when you're doing two or three other things, but to, get, to really get and command their total attention, you really need to sometimes get them on the phone. One of the mentoring prongs of our agency, and that's a really, at the end of the day, when we work with student athletes and parents, the first thing we say is there's no guarantees. The coaches write the checks and the schools do. We're only a communicator of accurate, you know, integrity-based information, and that's evaluation uh, personality tests, transcripts, all the parts of this successful recruiting process. But one of the things I always say to a student athlete is answer every coach. You don't have a job, right, son? No, I don't. Okay, well, your job right now is to fill out questionnaires, respond, and let them know your genuine interest or not interested because it's a small community, 300 plus, a little over 300 coaches. You guys know each other in some life, in some crossing, and maybe you get a new job and you say, you know what, that young man answered me, was diligent, communicated well, called me, still said I wasn't interested looking at other avenues, but maybe you get that position at a different school and you remember that kid and bring him back into the fold. I, I think that's probably really good advice. Yeah, and, and that, that's a really, really, really good point. We, we want the kids to be responsive. In fact, if we sent out and my recruiting coordinator understands this is the way it goes, uh, my recruiting coordinator, uh, every coach on my coaching staff, the first official, official uh, step in the process where we're calling ourselves actively recruiting you or interested in you is when you send back the questionnaire. If you don't, if we send you a questionnaire out, whether it's email uh, and scan or in the mail, if we don't get that questionnaire back, we do not. It ends right there. In fact, it ends there, quite honestly, because first of all, the questionnaire is going to give us a good bit of information so we can start really probing into the kid's background. Yeah, there's going to be a request for it contact information from prior coaches. We're going to get a feel for what kind of student that kid is based on, on his, his standardized test scores and his GPA in high school. If we don't get that questionnaire back, we won't call you back. We will not call a kid back without having first received that questionnaire. I, you know, and I preach that all the time and I kind of put it in a in layman's terms for some of these young guys and say, Hey, if you ask that young lady out to the prom and she never answers you, what happens? You move on, right? And they go, yeah, that makes sense now. So um, I'm an advocate of questionnaires, and I know a lot of high school yeah. coaches call it junk mail, and they're giving mm-hmm. bad advice. It's horrible advice. You answer everybody. 
uh, it, it's an opportunity and, and, and obviously it transitions into your adult life when you go look for a job. If someone sends you information, says, you know, I want your resume, I'm interested in you, you answer. If you don't, you don't get the opportunity. It's simple. Um, let's talk about... And, it's, and it's a, AJ, on that point too, it's a two-way street because sometimes these guys, these young kids will reach out to a coaching staff and, through, and usually it's through an email, and maybe they'll attach a video, a skill, or highlight video. And I think that when a kid takes time out and they send you a – and it's personal. They call you by name. They tell you a little bit about your program so that you can really feel like this, this kid has done his homework and feel that, indeed, he is a match for your program. When they send out an email, we demand of our coaching staff that they must reply back one way or another. And maybe it's not a, a response that the youngster want to hear, because it may be along the lines that we don't feel that they're fit for what we're looking for at this time. But the point to the matter is, it's got to be a two-way street that the coaches and the programs out here nationally do respond back to the kids' email, too. And I think one of the things we do here at Coppin is we will respond back to every email. Um, and that's just something that we've done from day one since I've been here at Coppin. And I could tell you that's not the norm. That's probably 5%. It is not it's, the norm. It shocks the kids. Yep. It shocks the kids. The mm-hmm. kids are shocked when we reply back because they come back with, oh, thank you, Coach, for replying back because we know that that's not the norm. Yeah, and it's not. Now let's talk about social media. You've got probably, you know, obviously compliance people. You've got, I'm sure, somebody that does some due diligence and goes through social media. Have you run into things that are just a deal breaker for you? Yes. In fact, um, you know, just over a little year ago, we were actively recruiting a right-handed pitcher, and we discovered through our research and going online that we found a Facebook where the kid had literally just come out of surgery for a major arm, arm injury that we never knew anything about. So that was helpful. We also checked kids tweets we really want to know what kind of kid we're getting and we get very valuable information in fact a lot of the information is actually good information not all negative but um, we do utilize that as a tool and when they come in to 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 cop and like any other program out there we make sure we lecture the kids on the importance of watching what they put out there because once you put it out there obviously you can't pull it back it's going to be out there um, so, um, you know, that, that's, that's created that the social media has created another whole, whole subject area that we could probably spend three hours talking about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a segment that we really cover and, and, and preach and enforce, um, on your end in this recruiting process. And, and I know we're, we're closing out on time here. Um, what, what do you see a value in, in marketers, people that are, you know, doing a, a, an honest job and giving you evaluation of a kid that is at least in the ballpark of D1 baseball? Where, where does that come into play in, in your recruiting, you know, that information getting sent to you? How valuable is that? Uh, it, it's valuable. It becomes a lot. Um, we, we tell the guys that if they want to send us 
uh, some information on a prospect that uh, any of the marketing companies out there that they keep it really short. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 90 seconds would be great. Less than two minutes would be great because really, uh, you know, even as an, as an ex major league scout myself, we, we don't really need to see a whole lot, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. We need to see a swing. We really need to see a, a close up, uh, uh, a video of, of a kid's swing. We need to see, you know, footwork on fielding a ground ball. And we understand some of, some of those things. Kids may be a little rusty. We, we, can, we can correct with some of the things we see on video, we can correct very easily. So it's not a, you know, one of those things where, you know, it's a, um, a situation where, where, where a kid can, or a marketing company can send us some video and, and it's doom and gloom for a kid because, because obviously the kids are still in the process of progressing towards being a good baseball player. But from a marketing standpoint, keep, if they can keep it really short, particularly the video attachments, mm-hmm. um, it just helps us to get through it quick and at least give a peek to, to, to what they may be sending out on a youngster. Now, I have a segment called Behind in the Count, and obviously when we communicate and, and – send each other emails. I did not give you questions in advance so you can, you can bunt or, you know, get a pinch hitter on this deal. Um, first question for you, what is the toughest thing that you can remember in your, your high school or collegiate career that you just said, man, this is just tough and it's really challenging, you, you know, the, down to the core of who I am. It, it's just tough. And how am I going to get through this? Do you remember that pivotal point? Yeah, I, I I think once, you know, as a freshman being given a chance as a freshman, um, as a freshman and being on the travel list as a freshman and not playing as well as you thought you could have played and then having to see the post that posted um, a travel party, we call it, for a trip and not see your name on it, but not as devastating as it is being able to come to the realization that every other name on that list are kids that's a little bit further ahead of you in, in the game of baseball. Yeah. I, I, that, you know, t- till this day still kind of stings because when, you, when you're envisioning going on to play collegiate baseball uh, at any level, you know, you feel that you're talented enough and, and you're going to be, um, that guy, the guy that you may have been in high school, but, you know, having the starch reality come and set in that you're not good enough to be one of those, however many that was on that travel list. I, I think that was a, that was one of the real tough pills that, that swallow as, as, as a young freshman. How about as a, as a division one coach? As a, as a division one coach, Having to make the decisions, having to make those tough decisions that sometimes take take the dream away from a youngster by having to tell them that they're not good enough to make the team is is, is always tough, and it's probably tough to you know every coach out there in my position, you know, having to tell a kid that he's not quite good enough. Um, well, the reason why you have to, to do that is level. the reason why you have to do that is because you actually answer everybody. Most of them hide. 
And some coaches will take the, the easy path and say, you know, we're still looking at you. We're still looking at you. And what happens is you see kids hold on to that as hope. And then they're late in the process and they're kind of banking on that one school that really should be saying, you're not a good fit for us and just get it over with. Um, so that's why you probably have to deal with it so much because you're, you're dealing with it. And some coaches don't. And, 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 and one of the things too, AJ, on that point there, when I, uh, I, when I reply back to a kid that's close, and when I say close, the kid has some abilities, and maybe he can utilize the uh, the great opportunities out there for junior college guys to play two years of junior college, and then and then readdress, you know, the Division One market again in two years, mm-hmm. and be be able to send a reply back to a kid that the kid then replies back to you, and you can feel through the the, the reply from the kid that they quite get it. Coach is just saying not right now, but there's other avenues that I can explore that could put me in position two years from now to be back in contact with a Division One program and be in, in, in better shape from the standpoint of being able to compete and, um, and, and, and play at that level. So that, that's, re- that's really important. And I just wish that, and I know there's only 24 hours in a day, but I just wish that, um, that uh, coaches in this industry would take the time out as busy as we are to reply back. Like you said, not with a blanket, you know, the easy road is to say we're finished, we're finished uh, recruiting for the 2016 class without really not really addressing the kid more on a personal level. And, and I think we do, I think we do that here at Coppin. Final question in, in closing and Coach Reed, greatly appreciate your time. Um, what would be your best advice, best practices um, to uh to a parent in dealing with this re- recruiting process? And then the, the second part of that question is what's your best advice to a student athlete in dealing with this recruiting process? Uh, the, from, from the parent standpoint, I think that um, as parents, parents tend to take the lead during the recruiting. And what coaches are looking for is young men that can start branching off and, and and not necessarily making a solo, you know, making a unilateral decision because obviously moms and dads are are are, are, are financing the, the, the youngster. But to have the moms and dads allow the kids to kind of take the lead with making that first contact and and taking the lead and responding back to the coach, even with some of the consultation that they may be doing behind the scene with their son, but to let them be on the forefront um, uh, more than than we're seeing uh, today. Also, um, we we tell the parents that just off their cell phone, if they just took a rough video of a kid, nothing spectacular with all of the bells and whistles, just, Mm -hmm. just showing that kid's uh, and at bat, and at bat meaning that they walk to the plate, and if it's a five-six pitch at bat, show that five-six pitch at bat, and maybe the kid is not successful. But we don't really need a lot of fluff when we're when we're watching video. And from the and from the youngsters, um, do do reach out at every level. If it's not Division One, 
Division Two, Division Three, junior college ball, NAIA. Uh, I often will uh, reply back to a kid that I don't feel is a match at, at the Division One level, and give them some alternatives. And we, all of the coaches in this small fraternity, we all talk. There could be a good junior college program that that has that's on record as uh, doing doing a lot for. Uh, advancing the skills of a, of a kid that we can recommend to a, a coach. The key is for the kids to, to have an open mind and, um, and, and, and know that in most cases they're good enough to play at some level collegiately. Beautiful, beautiful. Great content. I appreciate your time greatly. I know you're a, a busy guy, uh, the D1 plate and answering everybody. So I, you know, humbly and, and graciously um, thank you for your time. Uh, Coach Sherman Reed, Coppin State University, guys, check it out. Uh, Again, Coach, thanks for your time. Thank you, AJ. Really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the Athletic Scholarship Corporation Radio Network. Heard worldwide on www.athleticscholarshipcorp.com. Be sure to tune in next week for more college recruiting help, training advice, motivation, and more from pro athletes, coaches, celebrities, and entrepreneurs worldwide.